hot summer summer morning. Um, yesterday was really, really hot. Uh, I was just sweating all, you know, everywhere and all that stuff. But um, it's so good to be with you all. Um, my heart is just always so full when I come and um, am able to uh, speak. And it's just really, really exciting for me all the time. Um, but so Actually, kind of, kind of some some good and some not some good and bad news, but some you know sad and happy news. So today is technically my last sermon as the associate pastor here at Spirit of Christ, but that doesn't. I'm not going anywhere. So that's the that's the good news. Um, but also the other the other part of the good news is that uh, many of you all know is that I'm transitioning into teaching high school Bible at Lansing Christian. So that'll be that that's a whole new adventure. Um, so I'll be stepping back just a little bit from the associate pastor role it's so I can give myself fully to teaching high school Bible at Lansing Christian. And, uh, and th- this is actually part of what I want to preach on today. Um, today we're continuing the series of the coming of the Son of Man, so talking about these end time events and walking through the book of Revelation and some other passages. But I also want to stand before you all kind of as um, a, a call and a beckoning to us to stand in the gap for a generation. It's to stand in the gap of intercession, because that's who we are. We're a people of prayer. To stand in the gap for Gen Z. For the, for, and Gen Z is defined as people who uh, have been born from 1997 slash 1999 up until 2015. And so there's this, there's this 20-year gap, pretty much, of this generation of elementary, middle school, high school, some college students that I want to I want to call us to stand in the gap for Gen Z because there are so many trials and there are so many obstacles that this that this generation, I mean, I'm technically the oldest Gen Zer that you could possibly get because <laughs> I was born in 1997, but I'm speaking specifically towards college students, high school students, middle school students, things of that sort and that that we would that we would be a people that stands in the gap and prays and intercedes for God's full inheritance for a generation that's coming up because many of you all are grandparents many of you all are parents um, many of you all have you know siblings that are in Gen Z cousins or whatever I uh, pretty much many of us all know a Gen Zer and I want to say that there are trials and there are tribulations that are coming for a generation and it's only getting darker it's going to get darker but I believe that God has an inheritance in a generation and that's good news because that means he hasn't left us to our own devices but that he's with us and so I want to I want to stand before you all to give a call to us as intercessors but also give a call to us to stand in the gap and labor for a generation that's coming up. And so this is something that I just want to touch on today and so we'll be talking about Revelation 6 and 7 but then we'll also be transitioning kind of in the middle of the message to talking about God's inheritance in Gen Z, okay? And um, I'm just excited because uh, the Lord, he gave me a dream a couple years ago that spoke about the timing indication of the season that I'm walking in right now, but that he has something in store for Gen Z that I believe all of us are invited to participate in, okay? So um, I'm just going to pray us into it, and then uh, we'll, we'll get going and just see what the Lord does. 
So yeah, Father, we come before you saying thank you, Lord, for how good and how kind and how gracious you are to us. And Lord, we say thank you for um, your inheritance, the way that you, the, the way that you look at a, our, all the generations, Lord, and that you see your family of affection, Lord, on the earth, and that we're asking God that you would touch a new generation with a radical encounter with your son, Lord, that a new generation would be fascinated with the beauty of your son, with the glory of your majesty. And so God, I'm asking that as we dive into your word today, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, and that you would um, that you would stir something on the inside of us to stand in the gap and contend for another generation to know the beauty of your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, we're praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, if you have a, a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Revelation chapter six, and we'll be skimming through Revelation six and seven. But just as a recap, you know, in Revelation 4, or at the beginning of Revelation, you know, Jesus comes to John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, where the island he was exiled from. And he says, write these letters to the churches. And John, he writes these letters. And then all of a sudden, at the end of those letters, he hears a voice from heaven saying, come up here. And he gets taken up. And he sees the beauty of God in Revelation 4, the one sitting on the throne. And then in Revelation 5, John is introduced to this lamb that was slaughtered. And, you know, it says, you know, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. And then John turns around, but he sees a lamb that was slain. And that depicts Jesus and who he is, is that uh, in Jesus's first coming, he was a lamb. But in his second coming, he's a lion and he's coming to conquer. And the way that Jesus is depicted here is that, you know, um, he sees John sees this scroll with seven seals in the right hand of the Father. And as John is looking, you know, there's this scanning of the earth and this like, who is worthy to un unloose these seals? Who is worthy to unfold this scroll? And John begins to weep and weep and weep because nobody on the earth is found worthy to break the seals and to loose the scroll, um, which is God's judgments on the earth to bring about redemption of the planet. And so John is weeping and weeping and weeping. And then he, then, you know, the elders tell him, they said, look, you know, look at the one who is worthy to take the scroll. And it was the lamb. It was Jesus. He is the only man worthy to take the title deed of the earth, which is in the right hand of the father, and to break and to loose its seals to bring about the action plan of redemption on the earth uh, for, for God's people. And so Revelation, when we enter into Revelation 6 and 7, we enter into this prophetic picture of Jesus breaking the scrolls and, um, and uh, you know, unloosing un the end time events. And, uh, and we see in Revelation 7, God's seal of protection over his people is that as God is loosing these seals, as Jesus is breaking the seals, 
and all of these things are beginning to unfold on the earth, we see in Revelation 7 that both Jew and Gentile believers are sealed by God's protection. And that God has, you know, like in the book of Exodus, where there were judgments being released on Egypt, but God's people were secure. God's people were protected. It's the same way in these end time events and these unfoldings, is that God's uh, God's judgments that are loosed on the earth um, by the breaking of these seals, he has an intentionality and he has a plan and he has a safety for his people. And so when we're looking at these, at, when we're looking at the scroll and when we're looking at these seals being uh, uh, broken, um, Revelation 6 depicts Jesus as the lamb worthy to take the scroll from the father, which is the title deed of the earth. And these seals that he is breaking, they are literal, they are future, they are progressive, and they are numeric. And many of you all, if you follow uh, closely to Mike Bickle at IHOP Kansas City, you all know I'm a big fan of him. Actually, just actually a quick story. Um, I was at a wedding in Kansas City this past uh, a couple weekends ago, and uh, and we're sitting in this wedding, and I, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness! Like I, there was all these IHOP people in front of us, and I was like, guys, because Meredith and Rachel Nanzer they were with me, and I was like, guys, look, it's Dave Slyker, it's Matt Candler, and like all these people. I'm like, I'm like, if I if I were to have like their baseball cards, I would be that kind of guy for like the IHOP people you know if they had baseball cards I'd have all the collector's editions but then all of a sudden all of a sudden you know I'm we're sitting down and we're in the middle of the ceremony and I see this door open on the side and you know I had never met Mike Biggle before I've never you know seen him like really up close in person I've been into the services and all that stuff I'm sitting down and I see this door fling open to the right side of the room, and it's Mike Bickle walking right into the wedding. And so, I, like, I, I turn like, and I like, I'm like gasping like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is like this is amazing. Like he's like my he's like my hero. And I'm like, I'm like, this is probably the, cl- the closest I had been to passing out actually, like when I was conscious. Like, <laughs> I I kid you, I kid you not. Like everybody, like everybody else, they were like, what is wrong with this guy? I'm like, I'm like, you don't understand, you know. So anyway. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Mike Bickle and his teachings and all of that stuff. Um, it's just, it was really funny. Um, but anyway, so he has a lot of teachings on Revelation, the book of Revelation, end time events and stuff like that. And so a lot of what I'm saying, I'm drawing from him. And uh, so he, he the, the, the position he holds and the position I hold as well is that these seals are literal, they're future, they're progressive, and they're numeric. So literal meaning that these events will actually happen on the earth. Um, future meaning that they haven't happened yet, there ha- a seal hasn't been broken yet, but that they are yet to come. And progressive meaning that each seal increases in intensity, that each seal um, is more intense as they as they break. So you know, number one, number two, number three, and then also they're numeric, meaning that they will happen in chronological or sequential order. Okay, so those are the those are the kind of the four principles when looking at these seals. 
And I'll just read, you know, a few of these passages here um, just, to, just to read and describe what these seals are. So Jesus takes the scroll from the right hand of the Father, and he's beginning to break it. And this is what it says in Revelation 6, 6.1. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, this first seal here is describing the release of the Antichrist. And as he's going out to, uh, you know, it, going out to conquer and to conquer, conquering and to conquer, um, that, that Jesus actually is releasing the Antichrist on the earth to bring about, because, because this, is, this is what the judgments of God are, is that the judgments of God are, to, are happening to remove everything that hinders love. Anything that hinders love on the earth, God, God's judgments are to remove that. And so, so when God is uh, releasing these judgments through his son, Christ Jesus, he is using the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will. I'll say that, I'll say that one more time. It says, God, God will use the least severe means, and you look at these judgments and these seals, and you're like, man, this is the least severe. But God, in reality, is creating an environment in which the church, and, the church is able to respond, and people will see God, and hopefully, in all of these things, turn and repent. So God is using the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will. And so the first seal that God releases through his son Christ Jesus is the release of the Antichrist and as he goes out to uh, conquering and to conquer. Now the second seal, is it says this in verse 3, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Now this is, now, you know, I, I'm, I haven't done enough study in the book of Revelation to say with utter confidence and like say like this is exactly how um, to interpret it, but I trust those who have all gone before me and all the other Bible teachers, you know, in the history of biblical interpretation to mean that, you know, great war on the earth will be unleashed. And uh, so that's the, that's the second seal. And it's pretty clear there that there's just going to be rampant um, injustices and murders and war and violence on the earth. And the third seal is picking up in verse 5. It says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and, who sat, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, what... Um, what Mike Biggle says in for the third seal is that this is famine, is that the things that are going to be the grocery stores and all of that stuff, the, the prices are going to be way elevated and all of these things because famine is hitting the land and famine is hitting the earth. And so 
um, that so it's there's just going to be a short of, shortage of supplies and all of those things. Um, and so that's the third seal. The fourth seal is picking up in verse 7. It says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. And so these are actually these seals as they're being unleashed, as they're being un, as the scroll is being um, the seals are being broken. These are natural progressions. And so the Antichrist, when he's released, you know, bringing the world war, and then after that, the scarcity and the famine and resources and all of that stuff. And then the fourth seal is talking about after that is, you know, death and all of these things that come after war, you know, famine and all of these things. The fifth seal is in picking up in verse nine. It says this, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so th- these are the uh, martyrdoms of the saints and people who follow Jesus wholeheartedly that um, that this is th- this will happen in the earth, not to every believer, but there will be increased martyrdoms, persecution against believers and things of that sort. And in the sixth seal, talking about cosmic disturbances, I won't look at the whole thing, um, but talking about, uh, it says, you know, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up. And all of these different things talking about Jesus breaking the seals on the scroll that's from the right hand of the Father. But the good news is this, is that God, in the midst of all of this, God has a plan, a sovereign providential protection for his people. And we see this when we enter into Revelation chapter 7, is that that we see in Revelation chapter 7, you know, the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. And it was, it's going through the different tribes of Israel saying that God has an eye of protection and God has an eye for the Jewish believers. That, that the people that he covenanted himself to saying, I will be your God no matter what. We see in the book of Revelation that God's plan of protection and redemption, his sealing over his people is um, is actually coming to pass. It's actually happening that he has not forgotten about the Jewish believers. He has not forgotten about the Jewish people. But then also, you know, we're Gentiles. And so we're like, hey, you know, what about us? <laughs> and and God says there is, there is a, a destiny and there is a plan for Gentile believers too, is that I will protect you all and that there is um, as as you all as you all continue and persevere in me, that it says this, and this is the glorious part 
about this whole thing is that in Revelation chapter 7, we see a great multitude of believers from all of the nations of the earth standing before the throne and before the Lamb singing his praises. And so this is what it says in Revelation 7, 9. It says, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so these people, us, we're standing before the throne of God with our Jewish believers, with with the Jewish believers and the people who have believed on the name of Jesus, saying salvation belongs, in the midst of all of the seals being broken, in the midst of all of the, um, the craziness that's going on in the earth, that there will be a people saying salvation belongs to our and to the Lamb, that there will be a people standing before the throne of God, singing his praises, and all of and, and it's, it's from people from all over the earth, from the nations of the earth, from uh, nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And um, it, with every seal broken, there was this come and see that these angels, that these creatures would say to John, and it, it, there's a requiring of this coming and this this as we draw nearer to Jesus as we keep, as as we bring our hearts closer to him then we are able to see clear it's this come and see where it's there's this beckoning to come to Jesus and and it's you know kind of um as i've said when i preached on um i think it was revelation 1 or three or something like that, is that understanding end time passages doesn't primarily require a scholar, but a lover. It requires not just a mind of a scholar, but a heart of a lover, because as we get to know God in his character, as we draw, as we draw close, as we come to him, then we're able to see a lot clearer. Because as we, as we draw closer to his heart, and as we learn about his love, about his character, about his mercy, about his grace, then the way that we see end time events unfolding will be a lot clearer to us. It's come and see. It's draw close and understand that God is merciful even in the midst of all of this. It's come and it's see that he, his mercy has never failed. It's come and see that his faithfulness is enduring even in the midst of the craziest trials. It's come and see that the love, that the love of the Lord is enduring, it's lasting, and it will never fade. So that's kind of a, a snapshot of Revelation 6 and 7. And how does this connect to Gen Z? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I believe it connects to Gen Z because in Revelation 7, we see this picture of multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. 
And I've been doing some research over, just some loose research over the past um, few, uh, maybe like a year or two or something like that since the Lord has been marking me for Gen Z, is that Gen Z right now is becoming the most diverse, the most, uh, the, the most ethnically diverse, um, the, the largest uh, generation, becoming the most educated generation, but it has also been deemed a post-Christian generation. And I believe that God has an inheritance in Gen Z, so much so where, you know, there's a generation that's been marred and scarred and shaken and confused by the pandemic, by the, you know, current cultural conversations. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, been, there's been these um, um, accusations that I myself have... Um, kind of participated in against the younger generation, but the Lord a couple years ago rebuked me and corrected me and set me on a course to stand and intercede for Gen Z. And I, and I actually want to share that with you all today. And like I said, Gen Z is defined as um, people born from 1997 slash 1999, other, you know, Pew Research and Barna, they kind of define it a little bit differently. Um, to so 1997 to 2015, and so that's about like 20 a 20 year gap there, and like I said, it, Gen Z is the world's largest, most diverse, becoming the most educated post-Christian generation, and it is of the utmost importance for Gen Z to encounter Jesus in light of its challenges. That just as there are trials and tribulations, and in Revelation 7, you know, John is asking, you know, he's like, who are these people? And one of the elders says, these are the people coming out of the tribulation, those standing before the throne of God. And I believe that there is a, there are trials and tribulations that a generation is encountering that I, I believe that Gen Z will stand before the throne of God in which God will receive his inheritance in them. And I, I want to actually reference Revelation, or not Revelation, but Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, because this is what Paul says to the believers in Ephesus. This is what he prays for them. He says, therefore, I, picking up in verse 15, he says, therefore, I also, after I had heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and here it is, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I just want to make a declaration to all of us today is that not only do we receive an inheritance from God when we stand before his throne of judgment, you know, and receive those eternal rewards, you know, of, you know, faithfulness and love and endurance and patience in him. But did you know that you are God's inheritance as well? <laughs> It's not, it's, not, it's not only about us receiving something from God, but God actually receives something from us. 
And it's about a, it's a heart of love and devotion. It's about a heart of saying, Lord, even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the confusion, even in the midst of all of this, my heart is yours, Lord. My heart is yours. Let my heart, let my internal life, what's going on in here, even in the midst of all of this stuff, be your inheritance. Be what you receive in me. And I believe that Gen Z is a generation in which God will receive a large inheritance from. And this is, I, I love to pray this whenever we're at Wednesday nights. That's a little plug for Wednesday nights. Come in and pray uh, at the House of Prayer East Lansing uh, at 7, uh, 7 p.m. But this is what I love to pray for Gen Z is this, is Psalm 85, 4 through 7. Restore us, O God of our salvation. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. And I want to I just want to give you all some stats about Gen Z that um that as I've been that as I've been reading it, as I've been researching loosely, it's like, oh my goodness, like this is this is this is really, really shocking. And there's a, there's a plethora of challenges that high schoolers, middle schoolers, college students, elementary students are going to be facing. And this is, so the challenges that Gen Z is facing um, is, <laughs> is um, uh, just, some, just some loose stats, is that, is that 50, 51% of Gen Z, <laughs> Uh, 51% of Gen Z spends about four or more hours on their phone per day. That's, I mean, like many, many of us, many of us who might have like siblings or grandchildren or, you know, sons or daughters, is that, it's like, man, you know, that, that sounds about right, you know? Um, and so there's the, there's the challenge of overcoming the distraction of the age, is that that Satan is releasing an onslaught in which you, which we have on our phones here access to all of this information, access to all of these things, and it can easily uh, divert a whole generation off the course that God has for them. And so that's the that's that's a, that's a, you know like a, a research certified stat is about fifty one percent of Gen Zers. Uh, spend about four or more hours on their phone a day, and I, I can I can attest to that too. You know, I, I'm I'm technically Gen Z, <laughs> but ch- this this is this is this one is is really shocking as well. Is that four percent? There's about 69 million Gen Zers. Four percent of those 69 million Gen Zers have a biblical worldview. Four percent. Four percent. Is that? There is a great need for the Bible to realign and reconfigure the worldview and the outlook of a generation. 33% believe that gender is, is how somebody feels and not just how somebody is born. And many of us, um, you know, have, have we, we, we have all engaged in this conversation at some point or another about sexuality. And it's, it's important to go to the Bible, to the word of God, to understand how the Lord has made us. 
And so 33% of Gen Zers believe that gender is how someone feels. And it's a popular cultural conversation and a narrative that's being unfolded in our nation. And 43% of Gen Zers define success as financial success. Like that, like I, like our success is wrapped in our how how well we're doing in our finances. And not not about anything else in regards to in regards to life. And <laughs> a few years ago, and this is where I'm getting to why I believe that the Lord has has me where I'm at right now. Because like I said, I'm transitioning into high school Bible teaching. And to be completely frank with you all, to be completely blunt, I am not qualified for this position. <laughs> I did not I did not go to school to be a high school teacher. I you know, I I you know, I just it was just one of those things that the Lord back a couple years ago gave me a dream about and then some months ago tipped me off and then in April the principal of LCS was like hey let's have a conversation and I, I, I even said it in the interview just to be completely candid I said you all know I haven't taught a lick of high school in my life right and they're like yeah we know we know and it was and I, I began to realize God's hand in all of this because a few years ago back in 2020 when it was all craziness and all that stuff I was about to graduate Moody Bible Institute, and I had to do an internship for my, my degree, which was biblical exposition or biblical teaching and preaching and stuff like that. And I had to do an internship teaching high schoolers. And so I'm teaching high schoolers, I think it was like eight weeks in a row or something like that. And at the end of this internship, it was at Trinity, so my dad's church, and he, at the end of the internship, and I, you know, when I when I was preaching and teaching, I was I was trying to bring all the energy, you know, like the fun and all that, and nobody was listening to me. And so, like, I was like, I was like, man, rough crowd, rough crowd. And so, and so, I'm teaching like eight weeks in a row, right? And my dad sits me down and he says, "Hey, son, you know, how's the internship going? How, you know, what's going on?" I, I just, I just told my dad, I was like, "Dad, I am honestly so frustrated working with high schoolers." I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, they don't listen to my teaching, they don't listen to my preaching, and I was like, I, and and this is and this is what I said that I believe that provoked something in the Lord, and I said they don't even want to encounter Jesus. I I said that out of my mouth. And the Lord, in response, gives me a dream that night. <laughs> he gives me a dream that night. And in this dream, um, my dad and I were on this, were on this stage at Trinity. And I don't know if, if you all have been at Trinity before, but we're, we're on this stage. My dad's standing right here. And I'm looking out on, on this crowd of high schoolers. And I say, I say, everybody, you know, uh, get in twos and threes. We're going to be praying together. And I was putting on a night of prayer. And and I was like, everybody, get in twos and threes. You know, prayer night, let's go. Everybody pray. And so there was about 60 to 70 students in the crowd. And they began praying and, you know, all of that. And my dad and I, we go into the back hallway and we reemerge in the morning time. And in the morning, there were so many students on the bottom section of uh, Trinity's, 
Trinity's uh, lower level that all the pews had to be removed because there was like a sea of high schoolers just uh, swarming all in the all in the crowd. And I remember I remember looking at this crowd of high schoolers and if you if you all know Trinity that they don't have windows like this in the sanctuary, but there was this light as bright as the sun shining from the right side of the building, and I knew it was the glory of God on these high schoolers, and I remember that it was it, it, it just in a moment in a night that it went from sixty high schoolers to like a thousand in just in a in a section and I remember standing before these high schoolers and their faces were just glowing with the glory of God and I remember um I remember looking at it and one of the students who was in who was in the crowd he was a sophomore freshman at the time and he's going to be a senior now this year and all of a sudden I knew like the Lord was indicating to me in this dream that there was coming some, that there was something coming in a couple of years or a few years, something with high schoolers, I don't know what, that he would begin to move amongst the high schoolers. And so all these high schoolers are looking at me with their faces alight. And I knew looking at them, they were changed and transformed by the glory of God. And God, in that moment, <laughs> he was probably saying, he was like, Marvin, you don't know what you're talking about. I have an inheritance for high schoolers that you don't even know about and um and and so you know i'm looking i'm looking at these high schoolers and their faces are glowing with a, a deep encounter with the glory of god i i just knew it and i'm looking at these i'm looking at these high schoolers and i'm looking at them and i'm like wow the lord has encountered them so deeply and there is this there is this lady Right here, like 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 in, in Trinity, she was like right there in the she was an older lady, and she stands up and she says, Many will say what they experienced wasn't real, but let me assure you, it is real. And then all of us, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody, like all the thousands of high schoolers in this in this section. All began, you know, how um, when you're at the Breslin and, you know, people when it's about the free throw line and, you know, and they're all like doing like the Spartan wiggle fingers. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so in the, that's how the dream ended is that this lady says, the lady says, many will say that what they experienced wasn't real. But let me assure you, it is real. And then everybody lifts their hands and starts doing the Spartan wiggle fingers. <laughs> and I remember waking up thinking, Lord, I am so sorry for saying that there's a generation that will not encounter your glory. Lord, forgive me for thinking that you're done working, you know, in, in these high schoolers and everything like that. And, and it's actually really funny that the student that I saw, the only student that I could recognize in that, in that sea of high schoolers, he's becoming a senior now at Lansing Christian at Lansing Christian, and so, so it's, and, and that's where I'm teaching now. You know, in the, in the, in this, in the fall here, and so it's one of those things where the Lord was saying, "Look, 
I have an inheritance in the high schoolers. I heard your complaint about the high schoolers, and now I'm making you a high school teacher. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like the Lord is serious about what about another generation coming up, knowing revival, knowing the power of God, being salvations, healings, and all of these things in which he'll be working in and through all of these young people. And I believe that there is a coming revival beyond anything we could think or imagine. And like I said, like, and I've been saying, I believe stadiums are going to be filled. And I believe that the Lord is, there's a move of the Holy Spirit that is coming that is beyond anything we could think or imagine. And I believe that at the end of that dream, that when they raise those fingers, those Sparty fingers, I, I'm say, I'm taking that as a sign of faith. I wrote in my journal, I said, I said I'm believing for Breslin Stadium. And I'm believing that that'll take us to Spartan Stadium. And I'm believing that the Lord has something, but it's about the spirit of prayer coming upon a people. It's about laboring in the place of prayer. It's about saying, God, would you revive us again that your people will rejoice in you? It's about saying, God, would you do it again? What you did at, in, in the Welsh revival, what you did in the first and the second great awakening, what you did with the layman's prayer revival, what you did with Azusa Street, what you did with the Toronto outpouring, what you did back then, Lord, would you do it again? Would you do it again, God? Would you do it again? And I'm standing here. I don't know everything that's going to happen. I don't know what it's gonna, what's going to take place in the, in the near future. I don't even know how good I'm going to do. But I, what I do know is that God has an inheritance in a young generation. And our calling as a spiritual family is to stand in the gap and it's to intercede. We are a people of prayer. That's what we are. That's, that's, that's you know, we're, we're a campus connected. You know, we champion unity and we're a people of prayer. And so today is a call for us to stand in the gap in the place of intercession for a generation to know the goodness of God, for a generation to encounter Jesus. You know, Paul says in Ephesians, he says he doesn't cease making mention of, him, of the Ephesians in his prayers. And, I, and as, I, you know, as I enter into this new season, and as many of you all have people that you're connected to in Gen Z, in a, in a, you know, in a younger generation, is that we have to contend for them. We have to contend for them. And how can, you know, how can we? And the first thing is that we can pray. That's the first application today is pray, pray, pray. Is that many of us know people that are in Gen Z or many of us are connected to people which is it, who are in Gen Z, college students, high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary students. But we can pray and that's, and that's always what we can do. The second thing is that we can connect. Connect to somebody, reach out, you know, Take them to lunch, dinner, or have them over or something like that, um, where it's just making that deep relational connect, where it's building relationship. And building relationship is building bridges across generations. It takes all of us. It takes all of us to do this thing and to see it happen. And then the, the third thing that we can do 
is just help out, whether it's, you know, many of us are, have been involved with the campus ministry or, you know, many of us are involved here with the, um, with the young, young adults or not young adults, but the, the youth class or the nursery or the children's class. Um, and those things are real practical things that we can do as a spiritual family to, uh, to contend. Because inter- intercession isn't just about prayer. Intercession is about being present. It's about connecting. And it's about actually being the hands and feet of Jesus to a generation. And so I just want to stand just with a certain conviction and a certain invitation to us today is, um, and I'm not just saying this just because this is the next season that I'm entering into, but because that it's a great need. <laughs> it's a great need for this generation. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to invite you all to stand, and we'll just respond here. And the Lord may be putting something on you all's hearts. Um. He's, he's working in our midst. He's working in our midst. And what it takes, it takes all of us. It takes all of us to intercede, to stand in the gap, to declare the goodness of Jesus to a generation um, that, that needs it. That needs it. And I believe that the Lord is going to do something that's so radical. And we get to participate in it. We get to participate in the coming revival that God is bringing about. And it's about the spirit of prayer. That's the thing that I've, been, I, I've really been feeling is that it's the spirit of prayer coming on people. Not just, not just us just saying, oh God, oh God, you know, do something. But it's about the spirit of prayer where there's this contention. There's this contending for the glory of God to break in and to break out in a generation. And so I'm going to ask the Lord to place upon us the spirit of prayer, that we would be intercessors for a new generation, that we would be intercessors for Gen Z. And then also, if, that, if there's a way, if there's something that the Lord is calling you into this morning, just taking time to respond and just saying, yes, Lord, I will answer the call of what you've placed on my life for this generation. You know, um, if you're a little bit, if you're a little bit older, um, then it's, you know, it may be just connecting, if you're a Gen Zer like myself, it's connecting with other Gen Zers um, and connecting with di- different generations. But it's, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. It's not just about one person, one church, or one ministry, but it's about all of us. So yes, Father, we come before you saying thank you for what you have in store for another generation.